0: Hello, Mixed Cases. This is Nuke Chess. And with me today... Hi, I'm Tech. And we are going to be talking about required reading. That's right. These are the books that we had to read. We were required to read them uh, as part of our schooling. And... What I wanted to do is I wanted to talk about primarily we're going to be talking about the required reading that we read that opened us up to new worlds mm-hmm. that we're thankful for that we did enjoy. Now, it is has to be said that there are some books that I was required to read that maybe I wasn't ready for at the time or maybe in the one of them that I'll talk about Um <clears throat> dissecting them because when you're required to read them, usually we were doing them as a novel study and you're reading them together as a class and picking them apart and going through the symbolism and what does everything mean and what are the lessons and that some books can be ruined by this kind of treatment. Mm -hmm. So the books we're talking about, we're able to withstand that treatment. We're able to still be something that were enjoyable and as I said, opened up new worlds or are things that we continue to think about. Books
1: that, if I hadn't read it in school, I think I still would have read it.
0: Yeah, like and if I still I, would have enjoyed it. Yeah, I would have. I, I would have had the choice, but I might not have known it existed, and that's the other side of things. Yeah, there's a lot of that required reading that we read because it's given to us, but we might have never found this book otherwise. And the one that's going to top my list, the what, the most important required reading for me opened up a whole world to me, um, and I probably never would have known it existed if it wasn't required reading. Now, I had heard the name of the book because I come from a family where I have eight siblings. They, all but one of them, read this book before what, me. What was that book, Nutty? <laughs> uh, that was I Know Why the Cagebird Bird Sings by Maya Angelou. It is the first first i believe of her autobiographies she actually has 7 autobiographies all detailing different parts of her life so is that one uh, does
1: it read like a book or is that one of the collections of poetry
0: it reads like a book okay. um but because she is a poet it is so enjoyable to read mm. and it has a way of bringing you through um this this lyrical quality you know, um, and it is, it is based off of, um, the third stanza of, uh, uh, someone else's poem. So it wasn't even one of her own poems. It was off of, um, uh, a, uh, Paul Lawrence Dunbar's poem, Sympathy. Um, but in that poem, it says, you know, I know why the cage bird sings. So, um, I read this in, in high school. There are definitely, um, some themes that some people have problems with but i think are just fine for high school and definitely things that a lot of students might be facing themselves um as soon as it was written it was being banned so i'll ju- i'm just going to say that right now as soon as it was written it was being banned um it was written by a black woman talking about what it was like growing up black and in the south um and so of course there are people that didn't like it um but it is Quite possibly, you know, one of my, if all biographies could be written like this, I would probably read a lot more biographies. Uh, she was actually challenged by her editor and, um, novelist James Baldwin to write her own autobiography. And then after reading it, James Baldwin says, uh, that it liberates the reader into life and it is a biblical study of life in the midst of death. Which just having people talk about your book in such a beautiful way yeah. is kind of amazing. But so, in what
1: grade were you when you wrote uh, when you read this?
0: I was in high school, um, maybe tenth grade i think maybe 10th grade was it
1: part of like a bigger unit was it like part of like black history month
0: or something Um, like that so for that school year i believe what we were doing is we were reading american authors Mm. so it was not part of black history it was definitely part of american authors um we did have quite a few uh black authors that were part of that curriculum Mm -hmm. um like richard Wright and James Baldwin and Maya Angelou and things like that. But I, it was not like a specifically for gr- black history. Okay. Um, and, um, it follows Maya's life, uh, up until just n- maybe college age, like just after high school. Okay. So it is definitely appropriate because she's writing about that age, you know? Um, so when some of the most horrific things that happen, happened to her at an age That the reader is. So the idea of like, this isn't good for kids, which is what the book banners say is kind of crazy because that's no, that's what, that's the right age because that's the age she was. Um, but, um, no, it's just if, like I said, if it, because she writes and she is a poet when she's even writing her autobiography, it Mm. is just beautiful. And it's just written in such a way that you enjoy reading it, even when there are such uh, strong, horrible things happening, but there's little pieces like, um, there's a, a fight between Joe Lewis and a white boxer that is happening. It's a real world thing that happens and it's a whole chapter in her book and the reactions that people had afterwards and how, how, that one fight was motivating racial tensions, uh, throughout her community. And, and it really did talk about the differences of life, you know, in the South versus when she moved to California and how things were different there. And, um, you know, uh, also, you know, she was raised by her grandmother and, um, the reasons for that and, and, how that influenced um her later in life and so on. And there's just there's so many little things that I just think about all the time. And then I went on to read the rest of her autobiographies and that woman had an amazing life. Like if you think she's just a poet, you don't you have no idea. It it is definitely one of my favorite book series is a series of autobiographies. It's really weird uh to kind of think about, but it is it's one of my favorite book series.
1: She's so influential Mm. And uh, such a wonderful person. I love how she's portrayed when she shows up in other TV shows. I have to bring up like how she shows up on The Simpsons at a book fair where she's on a panel. It's her and Tom Clancy. Yes. And they're asking questions about, does the stealth fighter's radar-absorbent paint work in the rain? And Tom Clancy goes to answer, and he goes, no, no, I'm asking Maya Angelou. (laughs) And Maya Angelou recites a poem about the ebony fighter piercing the night, and it's just, oh, Maya, you're a national treasure. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we have to talk about her on the boondocks.
0: Yes, yes. They
1: thought they were kidnapping Oprah, but, wait, did you kidnap Maya Angelou, Maya, and I,
0: Angelou and then and she whoops them because she, she's Maya Angelou and she whoops them both it's so funny <laughs> because that's exactly what I would have expected her to do I mean she like honestly I wouldn't mess with her um, yeah oh, oh no 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 no! You, you're not you're not getting away from that alive you, no you tried no, to no, no, kidnap no. Maya Angelou no she's putting you in a box <laughs> yeah 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 you know she used to run a house of ill repute right <laughs> like dang this woman knows what's up yeah no she's it's amazing um, so yeah, so that's, that's my life changing book that I was required to read. So required reading, not all bad, man. And it opened up me up to her poetry, which is amazing.
1: I, I, man, you knock it out the park with the first one and you leave me here standing like a chump. <laughs> like,
0: okay. So
1: the, the first book I'm going to talk about a book I read in, it must've been middle school. Yeah. It must've been what grade seven or eight or so. I read a book called Hatchet by Gary Paulson. Mm. book came out in 86. It's one. It was a Newbery award-winning book. Uh, Hatchet is a book about a, a young man who um, is uh, in a bush plane with his grandfather, and grandfather suffers a heart attack in midair. And this boy, 12 or so years old, is now stuck in this airplane with his dead grandfather and no way to reach the ground, and the plane crashes into a lake. Um, In the middle of northern Ontario somewhere. And he um, manages to swim to shore. And the only thing he was able to save from the plane was a hatchet. And he's wearing a windbreaker, like one of those ubiquitous 1980s windbreakers with the pouch in the front and the elasticated waistband. And that's all he's got is a windbreaker and a hatchet. And... He's on the side of this lake in northern Ontario in mosquito season and he needs to survive. And I was reading a lot of survival books at this time. Um and a lot of I was I was really big into um I was really big into survival books and really big into uh frontier times. I think I read all of Laura Ingalls Wilder mm. and, and those books. I, I loved that type of frontier time. I, I liked those books. I read them all. And then when my teacher said, Hey, we're gonna read this book called Hatchet, I was all in. And it is a gosh darn good book. A very good story of how can a person survive if you have no survival skills, and it's just you. And what are you going to do? Well, the first thing you're going to do is you know try to find shelter and fire and all. And it's I don't know it. It, it made me feel better about myself thinking that if this idiot twelve year old in this book can survive in the woods, well then maybe so can I. And maybe that means that i can go explore the woods a little further and maybe i can go outside a little longer and maybe i can have a little bit more fun because the guy in hatchet was okay and so will i so it sort of demystified the woods for me and i grew up outside like i spent mm. a lot of time outside but i also had overprotective parents that wouldn't let me leave the yard <laughs> yeah so it it was kind of this weird thing but you know, then I started wanting to explore more and go hiking and go on trails and go visit the waterfalls or you know explore the woods in the backyard. of my best you know my best friend had this huge backyard with that went up a mountain, and then we started climbing the mountain together and having fun and exploring caves and well, it wasn't a cave; it was a divot yeah. in the rocks. It wasn't like I barely fit in the thing. It wasn't a cave, but it felt like a cave. Mm-hmm. You know, and all these explorations that you do as a middle schooler and, and an early high schooler, and it's just it. I don't know. I, I really enjoyed that book. Now, Nutty, you, I know you, you talk about this book a lot in your professional capacity, but Mm. have you
0: read it? Hatchet? No, I've never read it. Uh, yeah. So that's not, that's one of those required readings that a lot of schools, they're still using. Um, and it is still being taught. Um, but no, I didn't read it. Um, so what grade were you in when you read this one? About
1: seven or eight. I think I was in middle school.
0: Okay. So for seventh and eighth, I remember reading, uh, the K. I remember reading Old Yeller. I remember Snow Treasure. Snow Treasure was a big one. Um, that's about, uh, do you know that one? No. Oh, it's about, um, a bunch of boys in Poland and there's this gold that they are trying to hide from the Nazis. Mm. And they have to, um, the, what they end up doing is they put it on their sleds and they sled it down the hill. Why is that familiar? And are transporting it across, uh, this Why? area. Why is that? F- I, I know, know that. I maybe know you that. read it. I know that
1: story. Yeah. Huh.
0: <laughs>
1: wow, that's really familiar. Um, no, uh, also for me, I think at about the same time that I read Hatchet, because remember, I yeah. love survival stories. I love yeah. stories of like the 1930s and the 20s. And yeah. frontier. I also read Where the Red Fern Grows.
0: Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, but... I um but
1: talk very yeah. briefly. I know you don't want to. I, I like. Yeah, you talk about this book
0: in a professional capacity I do. all the time. So why? uh because it has a direct connection to what i do professionally uh, no no no. no but i mean like detail. like are you is it teachers that are asking you Tell oh, i yeah. read this book is that what it is okay. uh well it's 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 not really teachers asking can i read this book but they always want to know do we have the material i'm trying to be really careful not talking about what i do for a living yeah. uh do we have the material for this book and yes we do um and then also like companion books to go with this book. Right. So, apparently, uh, so if we're doing a unit on it. Apparently
1: yeah. it's the first of five books.
0: Really? And okay. I,
1: I don't want to read the other four because <laughs> it, it, it was basically this book exploded uh-huh. and then they went back to the author with like they backed up a dump truck of money to his house oh and can you write more so it's like one of the books is something like he gets taken to a government facility it's the same kid every and, time and he's forced to do it again because they don't believe that a kid could do it so they make him do it again and it just it, it it's dumb
0: I, oh I, I am that's un- terrible i am uninterested Yeah, no, it's still beloved. And I think one of the reasons that it is so popular is, and I really, really do not like the idea that people say that there are girl books and boy books and that books are gendered, but it is one of those books. This is a boy book. That young boys like. This is a boy book. The other thing is, well, and when kids are in school, like they'll say, oh, that book's for boys, that book's for girls. And it's like, no, there's no such thing. Like all books for for everybody. Well, I remember
1: reading a bunch of Hardy Boys books. Yeah. And having the Hardy Boys books on the shelf, and then underneath them was the Babysitter's Club books. And to me, they looked exactly the same. There really wasn't much of a difference. And they
0: were at the same reading level, I think, too. So I grabbed
1: a Babysitter's Club book and started reading it, and then I I remember being uninterested in the story because I didn't care that Shelly was charging 10 cents more than (laughs) Becky or whatever it was. I just, I, I did not care. Uh, but I'm thumbing my way through this book and then all the boys in my class started making fun of me because I was reading a girl's book.
0: Yeah, and there's no such thing. There's no such thing as boys' books and girls' books, but there is definitely, um, especially with elementary students, uh, typically, uh, it is observed that, and I'm trying to be real careful here because I hate the whole boy-girl gender, whatever. There's more than those genders. Books are books. Books are books. Um, but, often it is easier to get girls to read than it is to get boys to read. And so finding something that would excite boys to read in elementary school is one of the reasons why this book is still so popular. Um And that's a big, big part of it. Um Another big thing that really helped me, keep Mm.
1: reading is the fact that my mom was a librarian yeah and she picked out all the good books for you and i got i and i got like writer first refusal and everything so as the new books would come into the school it was my mom's job to you know catalog them index them mark them and then put them on the shelves and anything that she knew little techie would like mom would sort of squirrel away in her death and And the same for your sister oh yeah yeah." and then we'd come in then we'd come into the library and it's like no little techie This is what you want. You want want to read this one. And I was reading books about, you know, fur trappers up north. And like I said, that's when I started reading the Laura Ingalls Wilder. Yeah. I read all of those books. They're good.
0: They're really good. And then watched every episode of the TV show. (laughs) I remember the TV show more than I remember the books. I will admit that for sure. Um so what? What surprises me because we are talking about wilderness and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. call. Uh, you didn't read Call of the Wild, no. Okay. Um, uh, I forgive me. I forget the yeah. name of the author. Jack London didn't read any of them. Okay. And I know there's quite
1: a few of them, and that's that. That like uh, that that Arctic that Alaskan survival stuff, and yeah. I probably would have liked it. Right. But no, I didn't. And the one thing I, I find very surprising is. Uh, I was, I always thought Hatchet was a Canadian book, but no, Gary Paulson's American.
0: Oh, uh, you know what? I often thought Jack London was Canadian because of Call of the Wild I always thought was a Canadian book, and no, he's also American. Mm. (laughs) Um, I did not read that one until I was an adult. I never, it was never assigned to me, but it was definitely assigned reading to other people. Um, And I went through this kick where I went through a lot of the classics and I was going through some of those books. And I think had I read it in school, I might not have liked it as much as I did reading on its own. I don't think I need to read more books from the perspective of a wolf. But it was a really interesting way of um just kind of getting that idea of this is a whole story told from a non-human perspective. And that was interesting in just understanding that as a literary um device um so what's your next book oh so um my next book is um shakespeare okay uh so in my anyone in particular or just everything from the book? well i mean uh, there is one in particular uh now in my school in high school every year you read shakespeare yeah me too there was a different play for each year yep um, so which
1: ones did you read? What were the plays that you read by year? Do you remember?
0: Uh, So ninth grade, I know, was Romeo and Juliet. And um then we had, I don't remember if it was Taming of the Shrew and then Much Ado About Nothing or vice versa. It was something like that. And then we also had, was it Hamlet, I think? I can't remember because my my senior year, it was like... I did half year Englishes. I got to do specialty Englishes. Mm -hmm. So I had Yeah, I had creative nonfiction writing, Mm -hmm. which was fun. Nice. And then I don't remember what the other one was. I bet it was a literature or something like that. Um but uh much about do about nothing is the one that I want to talk about. Creative nonfiction and the first
1: thing that popped into my mind is a really sexy cookbooks.
0: Um, opinion. Uh, a big part that I remember is opinion pieces, right? But also, it was you know how... an, an opinion
1: piece on sexy
0: cookbooks. <laughs> <laughs> I got published in the paper. Nice writing about the death penalty. Also nice. It was a. It was a. It was not a topic the death the penalty time. being nice. We no, are, but we can have yeah. opinions on the death penalty. It was a. It was a big topic. Um, at the time, um, is in, that when New York State abolished it, or when they it was, started? It, it again? was. They were talking about bringing it right. and my piece was against and they brought it and then they got rid of it again yeah, <laughs> yeah, thankfully but um yeah it was uh uh it was a really fun class but much ado about nothing so we okay so so right. which
1: ones did you read again so so uh
0: Romeo and Juliet was yeah. ninth grade and that one I enjoyed it and I did had much more fun reading it Outside of class because my teacher destroyed any fun of reading it in class. He was also the drama teacher and everything was about him. And we would all, you know, do the whole stand up to read and we would go through the whatever together. And at one point he's reading and he kiss and he's holding my hand and he kisses my hand and it was really gross and awkward and weird and I didn't like it. Um and I just didn't like him. Weird. Uh but I had so much fun just reading the play. And my baby sister and I would go through the play and do the different parts together. Uh, while I was going through it so that by the time she got into that grade and had to read Romeo and Juliet she was like oh I know this I have got this play um but Much Ado About Nothing was the first of Shakespeare's comedies that I was opened up to oh I think Othello was one of ours actually anyway um uh, it's hard so, to remember what I read because I wanted to and what I read because I had to. But Much Ado About Nothing was the first comedy. I, that's not, that's one
1: that I didn't read. Like we did only the tragedies. Ugh. So grade nine was Romeo and Juliet. Grade 10 was Julius Caesar. Grade 11 was Macbeth. Grade 12 was Hamlet. And grade 13 switched every year between Othello or King Lear. So did you read both because you did it twice? No, I never did grade 13 English. Oh, okay. I needed a fifth English credit to graduate because we had thirteen, yeah. grade 13, which was our, our university prep year. Yeah, um,
0: But you were on track for grade 13. I was
1: not? on track. I was in grade 13, and uh, I dropped all my classes due to external influences, and then I needed a fifth English, but there was a second... There were two grade 12 English classes mm-hmm. that were being offered. There was... Uh, the regular English and then an English lit, mm-hmm. which I then went back. I went back for an extra year of high school to take my English lit class, mm-hmm. which then allowed me to graduate. And the the books that I read in that English lit class are going to come up okay, uh, mm-hmm. in, in my list of books. But, uh, you know, we read. Uh, so, yeah, the, the, yeah, I only read the tragedies only to
0: find out later that, oh, no, no, he's a comic writer. And he's a gosh darn good. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the comedies are probably some of the best, like As You Like It and Midsummer Night's Dream and things like that, like where they get like really wild and crazy. Uh, Much Ado It About Nothing, I absolutely love because it's a lot of patter back and forth. And, and, um, does Taming of the Shrew count as one of the comedies? Um, I think so. Yeah because they turned that into a 90s
1: movie called yes. 10 Things I Hate About You, which is one of yes. my favorite movies.
0: There's a an Elizabeth Taylor version of Taming of the Shrew too. Really? Yeah, we watched that in school. Like Cleopatra Elizabeth yeah, Taylor? Yeah. She's wow. young. She's super young in it too. Oh wow. Cuz remember she started acting as a child. She she and um I think Judy Garland were contemporaries. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. So, um uh, but Much Ado About Nothing was just so much fun, and it's so much fun to read aloud, and it's just that very sarcastic, back-and-forth um kind of comedy that I love, mm. and it really opened me up, and then I started um kind of devouring after that and going through lots of other Shakespeare comedies, Um and then I – that's actually how I discovered all the Shakespeare that Kenneth Branagh put out, Uh because he did a re- – I love Kenneth Brano's Much Ado About Nothing, even though Keanu Reeves sucks in it so bad. <laughs> um, he is so terrible. It is. Painful to watch him. Uh, he actually went and studied with the Shakespearean company in England and somehow got worse. I don't know. It, it was, I'm sorry, Keanu. I know you're the internet's boyfriend. Don't do Shakespeare. <laughs> but I
1: think, I think my favorite of the Shakespeare that I wrote, that I read, mm-hmm. that I wrote, that I read was uh, Macbeth. Mm. And I remember being in grade 11 and we as a whole class was having a very hard time understanding Macbeth and we we could not get past the old English and the iambic pentameter and it was very very hard for us to understand what was going on and there's a pretty pivotal scene in the story of Macbeth where Lady Macbeth is trying to convince him to kill the king and say like, well what if we fail we fail you know that scene yeah um, and we could not understand what was going on in it so you know I got to give a big shout out to my English teacher, Miss uh, Miss Linda Payne. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Payne. Um, she uh, went to the local college to the members of the dramatic company that were putting on a version of Macbeth, and she dragged them into our classroom one morning. And they, the, she brought in the two actors from the local college to do that scene for us, and then talk about. How can we understand what they're saying? And they're like, look, it's a lot easier if you see us acting it. And then they acted it out for us. Did you guys understand what was going on? Did you understand what Lady Macbeth was saying? Did you understand what the trepidations were? What the problems were? How they came up with the plan? And say, yeah, okay, we understand it now. I'll say, okay, good. So then later that semester during the Stratford Festival, we went to Stratford, Ontario, and we watched Macbeth live. (laughs)
0: Lucky. We got to do that. We got to go to Stratford. I want to do this. And, um... The fact that you could have
1: these old-timey plays with old-timey English that don't make any sense, full of herewith and forsooth and, uh, you know, uh, wherefores and things that I don't understand, but then the swords come out and, like, people die. And it's Shakespeare tragedy, so a lot of people die. Mm -hmm. Like, like Mm -hmm. stuff happens. And the character at the end of the play who has to close the play and say, hey, by the way, I'm the only one that lived, is never the guy you think it's going to be, right? So that kind of made Shakespeare fun for me. And the fact that I got to see it live in Stratford, Macbeth holds a special place in my heart. I like that play. Um, but I've never read, so what's the, give me the, the, the 10 second plot synopsis for Much Ado About Nothing.
0: Uh, so Much Ado About Nothing, um, this is an interesting one. So basically you've got, um, Because it's
1: Much Ado About Nothing, so.
0: Yeah, nothing really, it's, so, so it's is really, it, it's, it's, it's Seinfeld.
1: It's like, it a Seinfeld episode? Um, <laughs> so
0: the two, I guess it's an ensemble as well. Uh, but the two main people, it's a, a man and a woman, and they have a correspondence where they are trading barbs. Okay. And they absolutely insult each other back and forth back and forth Okay back so and they forth. so
1: they're on a subreddit
0: Yep and then um it, he's in the military and his military group comes to town and his best friend falls for her sister and they're just so anti-romance and romance is terrible and then everybody decides that they are going to trick them into falling in love with each other
1: Why did they not make this into a movie like 10 things I hate about you This ah. Sounds like such an it early is 2000s fant- rom-com.
0: It is fantastic. And if you would like, I w- we can watch the play. Uh, we can watch the, um, uh, there is the Kenneth Branagh version where you can watch Keanu Reeves be very bad or you, there is the Joss Whedon one where, uh, it's set in modern times, but, um, it's basically everybody who's on, you know, Firefly, Buffy, Dollhouse, and all of that, uh, going around and being the characters as well. Can, can we watch Joss Whedon now? Or are we? It, it, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those things. We'll watch it on streaming so he doesn't get any money. <laughs> uh, one of those sort of things, but it is a really good, um, it, it's, it is kind of sad if you think about it because basically it was his wife that, and he that put it together in their house. They did all the filming. Mm. And now what we know, it's like, ah, oh, Anyway, but it it is still a really good well worth the watch, I think. It but was reading, well
1: done. But reading it in high school yeah. was like your gateway drug.
0: It was it was like, oh, uh, Shakespeare isn't only being serious. There's so much silly, and there's so much silly that is still applicable for today. I, you know they say that there's only so many stories and Shakespeare wrote most of them. Right but there's also there's also a place for serious mm-hmm.
1: and there's so much more to Shakespeare than just Romeo and Juliet yeah. in the balcony scene. Uh, I remember when we read um, Caesar. My high school had a um, it's not an auditorium, but it was a like a lecture hall. Mm-hmm. like a, like an extra, you know, you've only got like 10 rows of chairs, but it's like extra, extra wide, and the chairs wrap around sort of a central stage. Mm-hmm. So we had an auditorium, and it wasn't used for a lot of things, only for special presentations. And we would go there, and we would put on plays during English. And when we did Caesar, um, we got to put on, like, scenes from that play. So we like three score and three stabs to the back of Julius Caesar, et tu, Brute, et me, buddy. <laughs> we did that scene. We had a dude, hey, you're going to be Caesar, all right, and you guys are going to be the senators, and I don't have actual knives to give you, but here you go, and we stabbed him in the back three score and three times. Yeah. Uh, You know, we, we got to play that out, so it's, you know, e- even in, like, there's still a place for the bard, and there's still you talk about how some works have to be dissected. This is one of those things, but I think the critical thinking that it teaches you, uh, I think is still important. I think Mm -hmm. there's still room for the bard and this is going to tie into something I have to say later, but that doesn't mean that there isn't place for new authors too.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, Honestly, you were talking about earlier how, you know, you're struggling with the language. The language is really difficult. And I think one of the reasons that most people start with Romeo and Juliet is because it is one of the easier ones to start tackling that language. Um And um it's kind of like your primer to get you ready to read other plays. So I have a technique that I mentioned to the people I work with. There are uh, easier to read versions of the plays there are graphic novels of the place i think graphic novels are a wonderful way to approach and that is my favorite way of doing it is these graphic novels they can read they can get the characters the story the plot the themes understand what's going on and once they understand and, and even with you know having the pictures they can see the setting they can understand it i mean as you said going and seeing it live or having it acted out for you That is a that's how these plays are meant to be um, experienced. They're meant to be performed. Not everybody's going to have access to that. Did
1: you get a chance to see Shakespeare on stage while you were in school?
0: not as part of school we had no um we had no field trips okay. our teachers didn't have a contract from 6th grade till finally i think our 12th grade year we finally got the tra- contract but um so there were no like field trips or anything yeah. special
1: i don't mean for this entire episode to be a diatribe on why shakespeare should still be in school yeah. so i think we should finally wrap I, up and i move did want
0: to just finish up with yep, you know ahead. you read the graphic novel you understand it and then you can read the play and you can figure out the language and then once you get into how does this language work? Then you can hear the poetry. Mm-hmm. So it takes, it takes a little while, it does. but it's totally worthwhile. It really does. And honestly, like we may not be able to experience it as plays and having it live performed. Uh, there's a lot of movies. And like you said, there's a lot of movies that Are like modern tellings, you know, Um, West Side Story, 10 Things I Hate About You. um, Uh, Even
1: like the Baz Luhrmann, Romeo
0: and Juliet. Yeah. Where where it's, you know, all of the or or,
1: oh, where it's all of the original text. Maybe not.
0: (laughs) I said maybe not.
1: No, but yeah, but it's not one word. uh, But where it's all the original text, they just change the look of what's going on. So I, I remember a lot of my friends and a lot of people I was around really having a hard problem with Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet where, well. The guy said, fetch me my long sword," and then he grabbed a gun. So it's not a sword, it's a gun. That's just stupid. It's like, if that's your hang-up... Yeah,
0: you are you are far lost like, if you just, can't get that joke. Like, like that was great. Just let
1: go. Yeah. Um,
0: now, that was a great uh, way of telling the story. Um, and I'd love to see more like it. Uh, uh, Hamlet. Um, what was it? David Tennant's Hamlet, where... He's just walking around in a suit, and there's no sets or anything like that. that was, was great. So good. It was so good. Anyway, so what's your next one?
1: Uh, my next one's a book I read in high school English. Mm-hmm. Yet again, thanks thanks to Mrs. Payne mm-hmm. um, because she's amazing, and uh, we read a book called Flowers for Algernon, mm. written by Daniel Keyes in 1966. It won a Hugo and a Nebula. Um, it's the book about. Um, a man named Charlie. He's uh, mentally disabled severely, and the book is written like his diary. So it's very, very hard to read as you start the book because it's full of grammar mistakes and spelling mistakes, and it's it's almost impossible to read as it starts because it's almost not English. That is being read by somebody is being written by somebody that has severe intellectual difficulties, mm-hmm. and throughout the course of the book. The character of Charlie undergoes a treatment that makes him smarter. Okay. And the writing style of the book changes as the character goes through these changes where he gets smarter and smarter and smarter and the writing of the book becomes smarter and smarter and smarter. And by about the middle of the book, he's at like doctorate level, you know, working on a cure and working on you know, furthering the research into helping people with intellectual disabilities. But the book is now so smart that I can't read it anymore because it's beyond me. And it doesn't make, and he's using big boy words and like, like college level stuff. And I'm just a high schooler and I can't understand the book anymore by about the midpoint. And it is such an unbelievably good book for how the grammar changes throughout it. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. It's a very sad book, uh, but sad, sometimes being sad is okay. And mm-hmm. uh, I read this in high school. At the same time, I was taking English and I was taking a sociology course. And when we got to the, we got to a unit in sociology on different types of intellectual disability and different types of psychological conditions. We were reading Flowers for Algernon at the same time we watched the movie that it that was made from it called Charlie. So I watched the movie and read the book at the same time in the same semester in two different classes, which was kind of cool because I got to hand in the same papers in two classes with a couple of things changed and and did okay. That's pretty cool. But Um, the movie is not nearly as good as the book for one big reason is that the book is timeless. Mm. There's nothing in the book that says it's this year or that it's this time that it it could happen today or it could happen 50 years in the past or 60, 70 years in the past. And it would all kind of work out the same. The book doesn't really date itself. The movie is super early seventies. Hmm the, the bell bottom pants and the music and the look and the feel and it the movie's very dated yeah the book is not and but the but the movie's quite good I have to say mm.
0: um, I haven't read or watched either but members of your family have yes
1: because I know I can talk to your family about this book and no. they all they all love it too
0: and the story of him you know kind of waking up and figuring things out and all of this it always reminds me of that movie awakenings. Which you haven't seen yet either. No,
1: that's the one about the, the coma ward where they all start waking up. Right? Yeah, yeah,
0: and it's um, it's Robin Williams is the doctor, and it's not a comedy at all. It's in, like not so this even. This is
1: not Patch Adams.
0: It's not Patch Adams. No, no, no. It's not a comedy at all. It's just a serious film with Robin Williams in it, and it's De Niro playing the the main patient, and then Julie Kavner plays the nurse, Marge. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's so, it's quite good. So is this. So I'm assuming that... And it's based on a real story. I'm going to take a stab at the plot.
1: Yeah. They all go back into their comas at the end?
0: Uh, Yeah, it it, it does go back. Uh, It only works... The medication only seems to work for a little while, and they haven't figured out why. Um, And the person that it happened to had a couple of times where they were able to wake up again. And it's not that they were in comas. They were just um, nonverbal, unresponsive. So they weren't asleep. They were just... So Not there. The The title flowers for
1: Algernon. Yeah. Algernon is a little mouse. That mm. They tried the treatment on the mouse first, and the mouse became so smart that he could talk to the mouse by writing in Sanskrit. Oh, wow. And the mouse would write back to him, and they would mm-hmm. say hello, and he could talk to Algernon. And then one day while doing his research, he comes into the lab to find that Algernon is dead. Oh, and that's when they realize that the treatment doesn't last. Mm. And the second half of the book is him regressing in intelligence until the end of the book is just a hard to read as the beginning because he's lost all of the advances that he had. So that's why it's flowers for Algernon. Yeah. It's there. He's waking this mouse that sort of set about his downfall. Ah, oh. it's it's a gosh darn good book that i really mm. enjoyed reading i am I'm, I'm i'm really dreading that we're going to have like this like well actually moment where mm. some people are going to respond back to this episode like that book is awful because it creates these horrible things it's,
0: well no but i liked it yeah and, and the other thing is you read this in high school yeah you know there's a lot of things that, 30 we've, years ago, that we've read if we read with today's eyes might be a little bit different
1: yeah cuz they cuz i w- i will say maybe one thing that, like, I've been dancing around the language mm-hmm. a little bit. The, this book was written in 1966. I read it in the early 90s. This book has flagrant and
0: gratuitous use of the R word. Yeah, because yeah. that's what people were called then. That was and the, and you know that's still a, a diagnosis. But even yeah yeah even if it, it wasn't a diagnosis, it was used a lot more commonly yeah. for people with uh, special needs. Yeah.
1: Right and. You know, that's not a word that I'm going to use today, nope. but it's in this book. So yeah. if you're sensitive to that, maybe
0: you might not want... Well, it's to, kind of a like, okay, we understand that that's there, but that doesn't mean that the book is bad. No. Well, yeah. it's just like Huck Finn, right? Yeah. Like, okay, so we're not going to
1: talk about the character named N-Word Jim, yeah. but that doesn't make the book bad.
0: Yeah. It makes the book a piece about its time and it's important to recognize that time like it, you you don't this is why you don't ban books because there's a word in it, right? You, number one, you don't ban books. Um, all the best books were banned though. I will say that if you want to, if you're saying, you know, I'd really like to read something, but I have no idea what, just look for banned books and you know, you're going to find something good. Uh, it really does end up being <laughs> a great book list. Don't worry, nutty. We'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. Um, well, I mean, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm curious now how many Shakespeare's were banned because you know that there's there's been some Shakespeare that had to be banned. Well,
1: I find it weird that Romeo and Juliet Mm. uh, doesn't get on the banned list for high schools when you think that it's the love affair of a 14 year old and a 12 year old. It lasted three days and five people died of suicide. I'm sorry. They unalived themselves. They
0: unalived themselves. Yes. Yes. Right. Okay, so yes, uh many of Shakespeare's plays are now banned in Florida because of cross-dressing and gender switching of characters.
1: <laughs> oh, Florida, you keep on going.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I found just but with a quick little um preview, but yeah. Um yeah, no, I I there's a lot of things that um You have to, you have to look at the, not just the time, but you, we have to understand that it doesn't make it okay. It doesn't make it okay, but it means that we need to have that context and understand and reflect. We don't say these words now. And this is why we don't say them. We have better words. So I'm going to switch gears here. We're going to talk about a novel that I read in elementary school. I think I was in fifth grade, fourth grade, something like that. Um, and it is the Bridge to Terabithia by Katherine Peterson. Um, did you ever read this? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't. I don't know this at all. Okay, so it is just a, a wonderful little book. It is filled with magic and wonder, and then of course it ends with very big sadness i mean this is what happens this is what kids books were it was oh you love this book somebody's gonna die and you're gonna be heartbroken um but uh it is a newberry winning uh book so of course somebody had to die right um and um i guess it was uh it came out it was originally published um the year i was born so that's kind of cool um but it's about fifth graders and it won the newberry it did
1: And just from your your first response there and from the the weirdo name this book has, I'm like, wow, this sounds a lot like
0: the Chronicles to Nernia. I guess they mention Nernia Mm -hmm. in this book? Yeah, pretty much. So it's not that they're transported to another world. It's but these two kids, they create another world. Their imagination has this kingdom for themselves, which they call Terabithia. Mm -hmm. And the bridge there is they are swinging on a rope over a river. Oh, cool. Yeah. And it is just two kids... Um, becoming friends, a boy and a girl, and they've just become best of friends and, uh, have this great little bond and they have this whole, um, this whole idea of, uh, creating a world and, uh, creating this magic and everything. And I guess the, um, the, the author, thought she had made up the name of terabithia Mm -hmm. but um when she was rereading the dawn Treader, uh she said that um uh lewis probably got the name from the terabith tree in the bible and so both of us pinched it from somewhere (laughs) probably unconsciously yeah uh did
1: you see how she was uh, inspired to write the whole book Mm. Her, yes. Her son David's best friend Lisa at eight years old was struck and killed by
0: lightning. Yeah. Uh, uh, the young person dies differently in the book, but yes, very much so. Yowza. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's, it's very, there's Terebinthia, there's ter- the Terebinth Tree, there's a lot of Narnia stuff. Um, but it is one of those things that it just makes your heart feel happy.
1: There was a 2007 Disney movie?
0: Yeah, they did. I never watched it. Right. I didn't want to. I didn't want to go back to it because it's kind of one of those things where- It's got Zoe Deschanel and Robert Patrick in it. Oh, there you go. Robert Patrick? I assume he's one of the parents. Um but um I, I don't know, just Zoe Deschanel and the 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 Terminator. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh but the thing is like it's one of those things that I don't want to revisit mm. because it is such a part of my childhood that I don't want to read it and say wow, this sucks. <laughs> like I don't want to go back to it and it being too old for it, it not being interesting because a lot of times literature can change depending on where you are when you're reading it?
1: That's like me and Rolled Doll. Yeah, I devoured every Rolled Doll book when I was in grade school. I don't want to read them
0: again. No, I'm okay. Yeah, you're good. You're good. But uh, but it is. It's one of those things. It's like I might want to enjoy something when I'm younger, and then. When I revisit as an adult, it gives me new eyes. I have a new enjoyment. I have a different perspective. This book, I don't want a different perspective. I don't want to identify with the parents. I really don't want to go and identify with these parents. It was just this magic of children that I really identified. And Oh, it's a book about a kid that knows the truth, but his
1: parents don't believe him? Yeah, I'm going to hate this book. (laughs)
0: anyway I hate that I I don't remember that as part of it okay okay, good well then then, okay Um, but anyway it was um, uh, what this book opened up for me though because this I read this at a time where I was feeling a lot of pressure of your imaginary play playing with dolls uh, all of the silly games that you're doing you're getting too old for and your peers are are going to make fun of you if you are talking about these imaginary characters or whatever. You know, that the, there is that time in your gotcha. life. Gotcha. Toy Story 2. <laughs> yes. Toy Story 2. There's that time in your life where it's like you have to be a, gro- you have to like try to be a teenager or whatever. And I didn't want to. I still wanted to play. And this book basically was telling me it's okay. This These are kids your age. They have a whole magical world. There's nothing wrong with still using your imagination. I remember being
1: about 12 or 13 and all of my friends were quicker to jump on the tween train than I was. And they all wanted to grow up and collect baseball cards and play, you know, play basketball and do all these things. So they started selling all of their G.I. Joes for like dirt cheap. And I had like an extra two years where I'm like. I'll buy that set from you for 20 bucks. I mean, that's $100 worth of Joes right there. Like, I don't have those. I'll take those. And I had everybody's G.I. Joes on this big shelf in my bedroom because they were getting rid of them all. Dude, where are those G.I. Joes right now? Oh, yeah, they're all gone.
0: Oh, no. We could have, like, financed an extension on the house, man. Probably. Oh.
1: Oh, yeah. But, yeah,
0: there is that phase. And I, I was a late bloomer. And having a book that told me it was okay, you can still play. Like, that's exactly what I needed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's, that's why I choose The Bridge of Terra So yeah. you were in what grade when you read there? I think it was in fourth or fifth. I can't okay. remember. I think it might have been fourth. I feel like Miss Fields was the one reading it to us. I'm trying
1: to think what I was reading. In
0: I don't grade. remember. I, I can't imagine my fifth grade teacher. I can't, what was her name? Ankman, maybe? I forget. Something with an E. Um, I can't imagine her reading us anything about
1: fantasy. Mrs. Brown was my fourth grade teacher. Mm-hmm. And that's, when I started reading Hardy Boys and Babysitter's Club, as uh, previously discussed. Yes. And I also discovered this little boy in Encyclopedia Brown.
0: I loved Encyclopedia Brown. I had all those books. I don't know when I started reading, but I, I read them. Gosh. We had them in the house, though.
1: And at the same time that I was reading that, my sister, who was like two grades below me, was reading Amelia Bedelia. Oh. Which <laughs> immediately became my mom's favorite books, because my mom loves that Did you silly... not read
0: Amelia Bedelia?
1: No. Really, no, I, I powered through that. I was no, because I was still in French school in second
0: grade. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah, right. there's no French, Amelia Bedelia, huh? There, there may be something similar, but I don't yeah, remember. You but. were reading Ten Ten and uh what's the other one? Well, no, Tintin is. Uh, oh, Asterix would have yeah, been Asterix, Asterix Obelix, and Tintin
1: are. You're not going to read those in grade
0: school, or no? maybe like
1: grade six, but that's like middle school, high school stuff. It's no? it's it's very smart, and it's
0: hard to. It's not hard to read, but it's not. It's not
1: for little children.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. I thought it would be, would have been. Um so what was your big French book then in I, grade 2? I don't remember. Oh. Um I Were there Bell and Sebastian books? Or was that just a TV that show? That was a TV show. But okay. I I remember
1: What was I reading? Uh, I remember a lot of picture books. Mm. Like the Leo Leone stuff mm-hmm. and you know things like that.
0: Did you did you have Frederick in French? Mhm. Nice.
1: But I don't remember um, uh, I don't remember the books that I was reading mm-hmm. in first or second grade. Um, I remember starting to read in third grade where I was having problems because I was now in English and I was reading the first and second graders, Mr. Muggs books. Oh, I love those. And, oh, uh,
0: of course, Clifford. Clifford, the big red dog. The yeah. Big red
1: dog. Yeah. Um, so, cause I had a lot of problems learning to read in English and, um, grade three was really hard for me. And like most of my evenings in grade three was with a grade two grammar book going through it with my mom, which sort of helped my mom out because she had to learn English too. Mm -hmm. So we worked through this entire grade two book while I was working through my grade three stuff. And I had a lot of problems with comprehension with English growing up. And I, I still do because there's a lot of things where I either take it literally or I don't get sarcasm because words mean things. Mm hmm. And I don't have the, I didn't grow up in English, so I, some of that context still gets by me today, mm-hmm. um, which leads me to my last book, mm-hmm. because the book was probably the hardest thing I've ever read, because it's not in English. Um, so, grade 12, Mrs. Payne, thanks mm-hmm. Mrs. Payne, um, I'm having a hard time picking a book to read in class, because we had to pick a book from like a, a choice of like four or 5 mm-hmm. And I didn't like any of them and none of them appealed to me. And I went to her and I said, look, I, I can't read any of these books. None of these are something that I'm going to finish. And I, I need to, I need this class. And she said, I knew you'd have a problem with this assignment. I knew you'd have a problem with these books. I have another book for you to read, but the PTA banned it a few years ago. So you can read this book, but like, Don't make a big deal out of it and don't go shouting it from the rooftops that I'm letting you read this book. But, you know, if you you want to read it and if your parents are okay with it, you can read this book. And she reached into a cabinet and goes into the far, far back and pulls out A Clockwork Orange by Anthony Burgess, written in 1962. And, I mean, I'm pretty sure most people by now have either seen the movie or they've read the book. But one of the things that makes the book very challenging is that this is the memoir of a teen in the near future and it's not written in english it's written in a slang they invented called nadsat which is the slang of a teenager of the near future so it's mm-hmm. part english part russian part german so it's not friend it's droog it's not blood it's crewy and it you know they they replace all of these words to be the slang of a teenager and my teacher handed me the book and said, this will be the hardest. It's only 90-something pages. Mm. Handed it to me and said, this is the hardest book you'll ever read. If you can make it to page 30, you'll finish the book. I'm like, okay, challenge accepted. Made it to page 30 that first night, finished the book the next day. And then, you know, wrote on my papers and passed the English class, uh, being the only one in the class to read this book. But it is hyper-violent. The Wikipedia for this book says it's a comedy. It is not. Um, it is very no. dark. It's dystopic. It is a... a it is a young man, a teenager who commits violent acts and then is punished through the legal system with psychological torture. And not only, and despite being, you know, he is a complicated character, this, this, this young man. And despite all the hyper violence, as they call it, that he causes, he's also a big fan of classical music and the psychological torture that he's meant to endure not only teaches him to abhor the violent acts that he creates, but it causes him to be physically ill every time he hears his favorite classical music. Yeah. And the poor kid is tortured by this. It's like not... He goes, no, no, not my beloved Ludwig van. It's like, yeah, they ruined Beethoven for you to get you to stop killing people. And... You know, it brings up a lot of important questions. And as a as a young little homie, little techie, I really liked this book. Not because I identified with the character, and not because I wanted to commit violent acts, and not because it, you know I it glamorized it, but it was just a good book. And it's hard to read, and trying to like figure out this new this new slang and try to. You you pick up what all the words mean through context. It is brilliantly written. Um, and, yeah, I really, really enjoyed reading that book. The movie, not so much. The movie's dated. It's like, just like the book is timeless, the movie's dated. The movie's like super 70s. And while you can read about the super violence and the stuff that he does, it's kind of okay. But when it's brought on screen... Mm-hmm. As they home invade a couple and then yeah. beat and murder them all set to putting on the Ritz. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really hard to watch. Yep. yep. It's not as hard to read.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of things that are easier to read than they are to watch. That That was a... A truism for, for this one. Um, I have read the book. I have watched the movie. Okay. Um, I do think that the book is much better. And yeah, the language is a little tricky. I, I read it older. So I think it was less of a challenge than if I were, you know, what, w- would you say you were in ninth grade? Uh, no, no, I was in grade like 11 or 12. 11 or 12, sorry. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, it, it definitely was a, <sighs> Easier to read than it is to watch, um, particular scenes. Um, I think that, that home envision is probably that. And there's a couple other scenes that are probably some of the hardest stuff. You couldn't make that movie today. No.
1: Wow. It'd be very different.
0: Yeah. You couldn't do that today. They, 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 people would.
1: Riot and i i just i don't know why i keep thinking because the character's name is andy yeah so i'm like oh yeah that movie with andy mcdowell in it no no it's no malcolm,
0: malcolm McDowell. <laughs> andy mcdowell somebody else yes, that, that would be a very different movie <laughs> yeah yeah no it's um it's well, it's quite a good one but yeah. my beloved ludwig van yes um but uh yeah no that's and, and there's something about that that one that I really like because it it really does go into the whole idea of um you know controlling you know we're trying to control his mind mm-hmm. and what did we cure him? did we stop him from being violent because we made him feel sick whenever he was violent, or is that just you know that he's still a violent person you've just you know it's it's a, if you go into um uh buffy with spike in the chip like if he's got a chip in his head that makes him feel pain if he wants to do something violent he's not a good person if we he's just to, being controlled if we have
1: to destroy all of your yeah. redeeming qualities to stop the most horrible parts of
0: you did we really help you exactly exactly you know so it's it, it really is one of those big think pieces uh so i'm so that one's super banned it was even banned in your own school <laughs> um, i i forgot to mention bridge to Terabithia is is also often banned for what? It sounds so innocent. <laughs> it really does. You're going to laugh when you find out. Okay. <laughs> so, um, it has a uh, frequent target of censors. Ranks number eight on the American Library Association list for most commonly challenged books. What of 1990 to 1999 what? and the ALLA list of 2000 to 2009? It was ranked number 28. Um, it is because uh, the challenges from stem from the de- death being part of the plot uh frequent use of the word lord outside of prayer oh because they're going oh lord yeah and allegations that it promotes secular humanism new age religion occultism and satanism and has some offensive language
1: By- because
0: the kids make up a whole world yep yep and because one of the the characters uh doesn't wasn't raised In the church and goes to church once and was like, oh, the Jesus story, it's really pretty. But I don't think that happened. (laughs) And yeah. Oh, no. Not secular humanists. (laughs) Whatever shall we do? Yeah.
1: It's. it's, Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, so I've
0: got. Well, I want to get to books that I think we should add to the list in a bit. Uh, but, before we do that, yeah. um, I did want to talk a little bit about what are what is one book, just one? You only get to choose one yeah. that can be retired from that required reading list that you did not enjoy. Oh, I got a few of them, but I'm I'm choosing one in particular. Uh,
1: yeah, I've got one too, and I think we both got the same one: The Pearl by John Steinbeck.
0: All right, I'll let you take that one. Yeah, The Pearl by John Steinbeck. Yeah, just
1: it's such a downer.
0: It it is. And And I know it's it's really easy to teach. Like That's one of the reasons why they use it. But it is one of those books that by breaking it down ruins it. I think I would have enjoyed that book better had I just been able to read it instead of breaking it down. Hashtag dead babies. Yeah. Hashtag dead babies. And Mm. and reading about dead babies in high school... When my nieces were just the new part of my life. No thank you. I just, it's,
1: the thing is, is that it's, the story is an utter downer. None of the characters are memorable. The, the And um, it's not that it was a particularly challenging read. It's not like A Clockwork Orange. No. A Clockwork Orange is a downer. But. Part of the fun of the book is the challenge of deciphering the language that they're using. Yeah, this isn't a or a Shakespeare. You know, yeah. Shakespeare, the challenge is of translating it from the, the 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 English of the 1600s into the English of today. This doesn't have that challenge. It's just a downer for no reason, and I think that there are. I think that we should give other books a shot. And I know you read more Steinbeck than I did. And I I think a lot of his work are all downers. (laughs) So maybe it's time for Steinbeck to step aside. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's, there's, there's some like, I'm not saying that Steinbeck is bad. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, he's going to be like Hemingway in my opinion. And I know everybody disagrees. It's controversial opinion. Uh, Hemingway is overrated. Old man in the sea can bite it. Um, but. <laughs> What's your thoughts on Salinger? Uh, I don't have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I don't have thoughts. I, 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 okay. I don't have a strong opinion either way. Um, I will say that this book has, I'm, I'm not seeing, I'm sure somebody tried to ban it, but I'm not seeing a huge banning action. So that that should just tell you something of all of the books that have inspired us. This one it did not get that. And, um, a lot of schools, I'm not saying that they've replaced this book with this other book that I'm thinking of, but we can kind of hit the tones of we're talking about, um, Mexican. We can talk about Mexican culture written from an actual, uh, Mexican author instead of a white guy writing about Mexicans. Right. Um, and we can talk about some, some themes and, uh, let's, you know, Esperanza Rising, a lot of schools are teaching now. And uh, again, it was not out when I was in school because it only was published in 2000, but, uh, it's a great replacement. And, um, I much prefer. We can we can just easily replace it with new books from new authors. And there's some others like Red of Courage. I can replace that with something else. Like we can get something else. Um so and, I'm go- and I'm gonna have a cop. Better. I'm gonna
1: have a cop out here. Yeah. Where I, I can't think of like one book in well, I said the you know, I said the pro. Yeah. But I, I will also say that I think maybe there should be a policy mm. where except for very, very few books. I think everything should be replaced. There's so many good books being written by writers Mm -hmm. around the world every day that it's very easy to get stuck in a trap and not open your eyes and see some of the great stuff that's coming out. Like I was looking at my list of books and even one of the best books I've ever read and one of the books that's on my list is already 23 years old. And I find it hard to believe that in twenty three years a better book hasn't been written. It probably has. I just haven't read it yet. So this is where I think that English departments and English teachers and literary teachers around the world do your homework. Like there's good stuff out there. Like well, and, we don't and
0: it's tricky. I will I'm gonna I'm gonna just come in with it is tricky one, because you have to create then the material and you're creating it from scratch rather than We've been teaching this for a while. It's very easy to teach, which is why the pearl gets taught. Um, but also, wow, imagine that curriculum development is hard. Yes. Yes. Film at 11. (laughs) And then the other, the other side of it is, um, especially in today's climate, you know, we're talking about how bad book banning is, but we have a whole state that has banned books. You know, we have, it is, it is a very difficult time and introducing, I can understand a teacher doesn't want to be that teacher that introduces a new book and then next thing you know news at 11 everybody's talking about the book that you had your students read right you know, and, but, and, it and, and the thing nightmare. is that
1: the reasons they're finding to ban books now are so they're silly.
0: so stupid like they're all stupid but um, yes, I agree um so so on that note yes, what is a book that you wish was required reading? Oh sorry before we do that I okay. forgot. Of our required readings that we absolutely love, Mm -hmm. it is not for you or me, but I have to mention on Jen's behalf, The Giver. The Giver. The Giver. Now, I did not read this. This was not required reading for me in school because it came out two years before I graduated and, um, by, by Lois Lowry. Yeah. By Lois Lowry. And it, it's another award winning. And yes, it's been challenged. Although she always says everybody that wants to ban it, she tells them read the book and then tell me if you still want to ban it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's actually really great. It's basically, it's a future world where it starts out. You think that it's a, a society that is utopian. And then you realize it is very dystopian and things start to fall apart. And it's, it's very, very good. And people absolutely love it and I know this
1: actually sounds really really cool won the Newbery in 94 sold 12 million copies I just from the cover of the first edition alone I want to read this
0: Uh, there's one uh, the school library journal said it is the fourth fourth best children's novel of all time like yeah it's huge ranked 11
1: on the ALA's list of most challenged book of the 90s number 23 of the 2000s 61 of the 2010s
0: um, Man, people hate this book. But people love this book. I, that I, means I want to read it. This is another one of those books that the teachers that I work with all the time, they, they are always talking about this book because they, they are still teaching it. And, um, yeah, so this book came out when I was in high school. It's still an, you know, by your means, anything over the 20, older than 20 years, but it, it's still relevant and it's especially relevant today, you know? You, you, it, it controlling no, it, children is what led to all of this so you 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 know there's there's definitely that cautionary tale happening um so what do you want to add to the list
1: okay so here's uh two things so mm-hmm. so you've said it twice now mm-hmm. and you've said it differently both times so that okay. means I've got two books okay because the first one is that is there a book that you wish? You had read at the time, and yes, there is. Because if I think back to myself in high school in the early 90s, -hmm. yes, there's a book that I wish I'd read at that time. Okay. But if you ask me, is there a book that that I think should be added now, Mm -hmm. yes, there is, and it's different because I wasn't in high school when this book was written. Gotcha. So, first off, a book that I wish I read in high school, Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut. Mm. I love this book. As a soldier that's been overseas, as a soldier that has seen some stuff, and as a soldier that has come back home a little bit different than I was when I left. If you want to know what that experience is like, written by a man that did it himself, because Kurt Vonnegut himself was an American soldier during World War II in the European theater. He was a prisoner of war in a town called Dresden. And at the end of the war, uh the... Um, The RAF and the RCAF firebombed the village, the city of Dresden and killed 65,000 people overnight. Kurt Vonnegut was saved because he was, uh, sleeping in the freezer of a slaughterhouse. The fifth freezer. Slaughterhouse Five. Now you know what the title is. And he was saved. The book is semi-autobiographical-ish. It's the story of a soldier named Billy Pilgrim. Yep. Uh, going through The story of what happened in Dresden, but at the same time, he is, I think they say he's unstuck in time. Yes,
0: he is unstuck in time.
1: And he's flashing through different parts of his life, before the war, during the war, after the war, and in deep space on a spaceship. In space- the future. In the future, on a spaceship captured by aliens called Trafamadorians, where he's going to be as part of a human exhibit as part of a zoo, an interstellar zoo. You as know-
0: serious as this book is of Kurt Vonnegut's books, because... I've read many of his books. I love Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, while it was never required reading, I was I was reading it as a, a young adult. It's still Kurt Vonnegut, so there's still this weird, twisted science fiction in there.
1: Right. But the book doesn't make sense. Yeah. Because PTSD doesn't make sense. hmm and this is a guy whose brain is fractured. The author, man, I wish I could give Kurt a hug because this entire book sounds like he needs one. And when you read this and Mother Night back to back...
0: Oh, yeah. Well, then, they overlap.
1: They do. And Kurt needs a hug. Um, but uh, I love this book. Uh, I think that had I read it as a school, uh, as a child in school, uh, I think it would have helped me form... Uh, a lot clearer of a picture of what a soldier is. I don't think it would have stopped me from joining. I, I'm not saying that had I read this, I wouldn't have been in the army, uh, but I think I would have joined for different reasons. And yeah. um, I think I would have been—I think I would have been a smarter kid, yeah, had I read this book. Um, I love it to death. It is—it has been challenged many, many times. It has been banned. Many many times for really silly reasons. So they banned it from schools because they because they say the language is too bad. Because I know he uses the f word mm-hmm. in this book, and well, some people don't think that kids should read that book. But I think if you're in high school and you're you don't know what the f word is, um, well, guess what? It's the f word. It happens. Yeah, and uh, you're going to hear it when you turn 20 and you go to college. So you <laughs> might as well get used to its existence. And um, the uh, they banned the book in part. Because there's a part of the book where Billy Pilgrim figures out, or they they figure out that the atrocities committed by the Nazis were not only about the Jews, but that homosexuals were being killed as well, as he calls them in the book, fairies. Mm. And the fact that homosexuals were being killed by the Nazis as well. And they banned the book in the United States just for that. Now... Because it wasn't just Jews. Because it wasn't just Jews. Okay. But... Now, if I can put my tinfoil hat yeah. on, like McCarthyism was still fresh yeah. in people's minds and I think the fact that had the pink scare. Right, the pink scare and all the rest of the McCarthyism when they were going after communists and, and, and gays and trying to get rid of them out of government jobs, uh, I think that had there been a very popular book that had come out that comes out and says, Hey, by the way, the Nazis did this too, hey, you can draw an allegory between what the Nazis are doing and what you're yeah. doing right now um i think that i can see why the book got banned for that mm. i don't think it's right
0: no not at all not at well, all
1: well then again don't ban books
0: no no and it's it's such a good piece of literature i think everyone if you haven't read it you owe it to yourself to give it a listen uh, not listen give it a read all right so we're going to wrap up with my cho- choice for oh wait what was your second book oh, the okay. one that wasn't published it wasn't published yet when I was
1: in high school, mm-hmm. but it's been published now. But if I was to add a book to the mm-hmm. high school curriculum, now I want to add The Life of Pi.
0: Oh, that's a good one. I like that. I love The Life of Pi.
1: Uh, and for people that haven't seen it or haven't seen the uh, Ang Lee movie... Um, read the book read the first. Book. Read the book. But they're both good, and they're both yeah. amazing. And, and one of the very, very rare times I found where the movie was not worse than the book. Yeah. It was just different.
0: It's also one of those where I... I don't think you will get angry at the book if you read it first, but I don't think that you should watch the movie first. Yeah. I think you should read the book because I think having read the book makes the movie better, um, as was apparent from the people that sat behind us at the theater who had no idea what they were watching.
1: I um, <laughs> This is one of the very few books that I've read where I actually got uh, this and some Kurt Vonnegut Mm. Are the very few books I've read where finishing the book filled me with a sense of accomplishment, where I could put the book down on my table and go, "I did a thing today. I read this book."
0: Yeah, when you you get that feeling of like, "Yeah, I did. It. I read
1: that. And that was good." I, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who maybe hasn't read the book, but the life of Pi. The last three pages, mm-hmm. just at the very, very end, the character has a revelation about his worldview. That changed the way I think about everything in my life. Mm-hmm. And the The Life of Pi is a book by Yan Martel. came out two thousand one. Won the Man Booker Prize. Won the Canada Reads. Uh, it is. The book changed my life.
0: And I will say, if you're looking for book lists, Canada Reads is a great place Canada to Canada Reads is a
1: wonderful place to find some great, great books. All every- the books
0: I've read that have been Canada Reads winners, I've really enjoyed. Uh So the one I wanted to talk about, uh, we're going to go back to banned books because it made a lot of news a couple of years ago um, after being banned, and I... If you want to have a conversation about that, we could do a whole episode just talking about that. Cause I went through the PTA meeting. I went through everything. If you want to do an episode on banned
1: books? I think this is the episode where you <laughs> claw your librarian friends in. And I, would,
0: well, actually I, I had that as a plan. I wanted to do that years ago and I still need to do it, but, um, the, it's a graphic novel. It is a Pulitzer pri- Prize winning graphic novel and the very first one to get a Pulitzer Prize. And it is Mouse by um Art Spiegelman. The guy from the Garbage Pail Kids. <laughs> yes, the guy from the Garbage Pail Kids. <laughs> and it is ta- it's him interviewing his father about his experiences as a Polish Jew and a Holocaust survivor. And it was originally serialized and put out in a magazine. Um, but then compiled and put into a graphic novel and it is amazing. And I have a couple of copies of it already and I love it. And when it became, but it's a, it's a graphic
1: novel and they're all mice. It's, it's like five of mouse and the, yeah, they're, they're all mouses. And then, uh, what is it again? Like the Germans are cats yes. and Americans are dogs. I think, but anyway, there's a code. No,
0: it, it's, it's not that far into it. It's yeah. just mostly about this mouse family, you yeah. know, anyway. So it's, um, it's quite good. Um, and there's a couple of different timelines and we're going through, you know, interviews and, and, and so there are some times where it's not all mice. Like sometimes you'll see stuff in, um, actual humans, which is one of the, um, objections uh, one of the objectionable scenes they said but whatever um it it's really well it is a it, it's well written and it's a great way to put all of that information into context i mean we all read anne frank and i'm glad that i read anne frank i assume you read anne frank did you read anne frank on, uh, in school no that's not something that you.
1: Would? I think. I think my sister did. Okay. Uh, I uh, we knew of it. I think we talked about it. I don't think I actually cracked the spine oh. and read the diary.
0: We of read course. it like in class. You know, when you're everybody's taking turns reading. Yeah. No. Yeah. no um, do that. So, um, but I would I would add this in addition to that, and it's a way of giving perspective to a historical point of time and understanding the impact and there are a lot of curriculums that have written this in there are a lot of states that have turned around and said no uh we're gonna ban this because we are fascists um well and i'm simplifying (laughs) yeah it's interesting
1: how they choose to ban it because there's a lot of coded language and how it's Mm -hmm. happening because they can't just out and out ban it because right because they don't want to talk about you know, the concentration camps and how Jews were treated during World War II. because if you say that it's bad. So they they scratched, they scra, they scratched and scratched and scratched to try to find anything they could. And there's one tiny little panel on one tiny little page yeah. of this book of a girl mouse with her top off and you see cartoon boobs.
0: Well, it's no, it's one of the scenes that it's actually a human, but it's a a, somebody unalived themselves. We're going to we're going to use that word Mm -hmm. that you've already used unalives themselves in the bathtub. And it's talking about the author's mother and finding their mother or the the father's finding his mother in in the bathtub. And the objection is there's a, a nipple. Yeah. Yeah. But not that this is a you know, anything else. Not about not about the suicide or anything else. But
1: but the thing that bothers me is that the boob the nipple that you see it's a circle and a dot cuz it's a tiny little part of a tiny little page and all you see is a circle and a dot it could be homer simpson's eyeball <laughs> for all we care for the level of detail that we're getting yeah it's it's and, so inconsequential that's the
0: objectionable because they had to find something that and and language oh yes there the was language. some foul language you have to understand yeah but um yeah, there's a a whole there's a whole bunch of um arguments and so forth um that people have made against it, but I think that it is such a powerful piece and it really does show that graphic I think we did a whole episode on this can graphic novels be literature. So this is not the first time that we are talking about this. Uh, book, but it, I'm going to say again, it is worth reading. Even if you're not a graphic novel person, this is one of those ones that you're going to want to try out. Mm-hmm. You're going to want to, uh, it, it's important. And I think it would have been really good for me to have this as a perspective because really the only perspective that we had of the victims of World War II was Anne Frank. And while Anne Frank is a piece of literature, it's a very important book. Having only that one perspective kind of limits what year was understanding. Hmm? What year was most written? Uh, it, well, it was released uh, in comics from uh, nineteen eighty to 1991 um and in 1991 is when it was actually published so i could have had it in my curriculum um but i don't i think it was still relatively new as a collected piece
1: now the one the one criticism that i have about Mm. you know reading this in school in the time in the 90s Mm. is that i very much remember reading periods in my English classes in high school and being told that reading is reading and magazines aren't reading and comic books aren't reading you know if it's not if it's not prose written on a page by an an approved author then it is not reading so you know uh, comic books, graphic novels, uh, magazines even I was told at one point that I I I have been told a couple times in my life that I enjoy reading nonfiction. Nonfiction reading is not reading, and they are wrong. Of course, they are wrong. And comic books are reading, and yes, audio everything
0: is reading. Audiobooks, audiobooks are, are still reading. reading. Yes.
1: So just shush your mouth. Yes. Yes. And and let people read what they want to read. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, the one thing I can see is that maybe for development as a reader, where you're trying to challenge people to read harder and harder materials, that maybe a magazine article or a newspaper is not going to have the challenge level that maybe you're looking for as an educator. But that doesn't mean you should stop them from reading the newspaper. Yeah, it's, it's,
0: it's... you want to have the variety. You want to have nonfiction and fiction reading. You want to be able to uh, introduce that variety. But for a lot of people, if they're starting to build up their skills, graphic novels are a great way to start that. It'll start with the sparking their excitement. It'll start with, um, building up that, that, that skill set. And the idea that this doesn't count as reading is so frustrating. One of the things that I tell my the, the educators that I work with is we can also include like when the if the kids' parents are reading to them for at bedtime that counts as reading too. And this, this is, is very important.
1: I know it's a trope in the comedy world, but this is you know, this is reminding me of you know yes and yeah yes and it, it's not no you can't read that it's uh, yes you can read that
0: it, and and. If you like that, you should try this. I like that. I might steal that. If you hear me say yes and on a yeah. on a on a call yeah. at work, just know that you're influencing this. So that it's, it's yes, I'll say it's yes and it's, yes, you can read it and mm-hmm. you can read this. Well, no, it's like I uh, little
1: techie loved to read books about airplanes, but mm-hmm. I'm reading like Bill Gunston and I'm reading like engineering manuals on how they created this wing mm-hmm. or why the airplane looks like this. I, yes. And have you read the biography of the Wright brothers yet? Yeah. Little well, techie, you might want to read the biography of the Wright brothers yeah. and then the biography of Chuck Yeager and then.
0: And then, and then the right stuff and then this and then. And then the
1: right stuff and then all these other
0: books about yeah. things because you like airplanes. And, um, one of my nephews, uh, when he was in elementary school, absolutely loved Minecraft and Star Wars and all of this. And he had a teacher that told him he wasn't allowed to do any more book reports on anything Star Wars or Minecraft or anything like that, and that he should choose a normal book, like something about baseball. Because boys like baseball. Exactly. I I remember this. And it was so frustrating. Like, he's not interested in that. Like why would you if if he gets to choose for his own book report why are you limiting it to things he is uninterested in but yeah all reading is reading and never let somebody shame you well i there is a so henry rollins uh tech and i love his spoken word stuff and don't call it comedy it's not it's it's he's a raconteur it's yeah a spoken, it's word. spoken word and uh he he's talking about you know uh dating and asking people what book did they read and <laughs> you know and when they'd say harry potter he's like write an adult book and it's like you know what no uh young adult counts what is the difference between reading a young adult novel or a james patterson novel or anything else because the average James Patterson novel is written at a fifth grade level. A lot of young adult books are written at a harder reading level. So it's no, there's nothing wrong with it. But you know what's the difference between YA and adult fiction is YA tends to have happy endings. So what? Well, A Little Hope in the World is just fine. Well, I went
1: from young adult books about airplanes to then reading Stephen Koontz, you know, Flight of the Intruder.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's
1: the difference between Stephen Koontz and the YA books about airplanes? Is that it was still all about the airplanes, but he put one spicy scene yeah. in all of his books. And guess what? I didn't really like the spicy scene because why do I want to watch a spicy thing about, oh, Jake Grafton's finally going to get it on with Callie on the beach in, in Vietnam It's like or the, the beach in Thailand? Can you go back, go back to, your, to the airplane? Can you go back to your A6 Intruder and keep bombing the Vietnamese, please? Can we can we get back to the, you I mean- know, Jake cool hand grafton and tiger cole in the in the, in
0: their a6 that's what i'm here for i mean all right buddy just go back to macross <laughs> that's all you care about is the plane da, 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 da. even then macross minmay could you stop singing
1: my boyfriends a pilot now and can we get back to the airplanes <laughs> where's my boy roy fulker
0: ooh kawaii nah. man so, crush so yeah uh, tech all you cared about was the airplanes um, it's a life choice. Thank you for not judging. <laughs> I'm not judging. I'm not judging at all. But yeah, all reading is reading and never feel shamed for what you're reading. I I know that I've heard uh, some people talking about like, oh, I, I like reading and I'm doing air quotes, naughty novels. um, And I'll put them inside book jackets or I love Kindles because people don't know what I'm reading. And it's like, Don't feel ashamed of that. There's nothing wrong with reading things that are spicy. If you like spicy, read the spicy. Even when they're not spicy. But like uh, my coworker Mm -hmm. had a
1: Kindle and she would be out with us in the field. And when things weren't going on with the experiment that we were doing, she'd have time to read her book. Mm -hmm. And she wouldn't tell us for a long time that she was reading Dune because that was too nerdy.
0: (laughs) It's like. Dude, you work in a lab. Yeah.
1: You work in a research lab. You're reading Frank Herbert. I mean, congratulations. Well done. Welcome to the club. But, uh, but yeah, she wouldn't tell us that she was reading Dune for a while because, well, that was just too nerdy and too embarrassing and too much to explain as to why. <sighs>
0: yeah. there's There should be no shame in whatever you're reading. All reading is good. We don't have to like the same things. And um Hopefully, uh some of the reading that you did that was required reading opened you up to books and made you love uh the written word and didn't make you hate it. <laughs> so if there is something that you were required to read and you feel like you're a better person for having read it, please write in. Let us know. Drop it in the Discord. Uh Let us know what are some required readings that you are really ex- excited that you got to read. Or... On that note, because mm. I'm sure a lot of our, our audience has
1: children, mm. if your kids are reading a cool book yeah. that, that that you would recommend that you enjoyed them reading or that they seem to really enjoy, please let us know that, too. I'm, I'm really curious to know what the what the kids nowadays uh, are reading. I yeah. don't know why I said it like that. I'm just being weird. I don't now.
0: know. You're just being an old man. You're about to put an onion on your belt. And it's by the way, fashion of the time. And by the way, get off my lawn.
1: <laughs> crazy kids
0: yeah so thanks for joining us let us know what is your required reading and um we'll talk to you later bye bye everybody before we go i want to thank our patrons Because of our patrons, we have two episodes a month. They are the ones that got me to go from one episode a month to two episodes a month. And they're the ones that keep me doing it. So thank you so much to our patrons. We're going to start with our top tier of Big Daddy patrons. Thank you to number one patron, Jax. And thank you to the other Big Daddies, Jason and Rich the TT. Thank you to our patrons of the arts, Hugh, Mark Cabot, the encaffeinated one, and Susanna. And to all of our other patrons, the lifeblood of this Patreon campaign. Thank you so much. You are keeping us going. You are letting us know that you want to hear more. So thank you to Shane, to Selginor, Andy, Clifford, Grig, Harold, Ian, Justine, Ken, Kinsey, The Bathtub Mermaid, Mike, the Radical Geek, Will N. Zachman. Thanks so much for all of your support.